we've just had our third event, and there we are, holding mops and huffing bleach. <laughs> As we're known to do. Yes. And, uh, you know, we're having our general cleanup session while everybody else is off at Kirby Lane jerking <laughs> off. We get to stay behind and really revel in the glory yes. <laughs> of being yeah. wrestling promoters. Yeah, let me tell you. Listen, uh, the only the only reason that we do it is so that we can, you know, mop and clean yeah. up after everybody afterwards, right? We're really aspiring janitors. <laughs> yeah, this, is just, this is just yeah. this is just the stepping the, stone to the that facade to uh, to practice our our art and our craft. But anyway, it's it's <clears throat> so I, I did I did really revel and treasure uh, revel in and treasure those moments where you and I were just in that hall listening to our soft voices and <laughs> echo as as we're peeling streamers <laughs> off the floor and just yeah anyway uh so i remember being very happy with the third show uh minor drama aside and me you know being eh, a little frustrated about stuff you know um yeah this was um this was overall a, a happy evening right besides hey this didn't go well this started to become where we would go, well, this didn't happen exactly like we had on paper. Yeah. This was where we started to, those, those shine through the afterglow of, of a great show. Right. Yeah. But it was still, it was still a show that we were happy with. We were happy with attendance and, and, uh, we knew that the next event would be an important one because we were at that moment that I don't think this envisioned when we initially began, yeah. we were going to uh you know coronate or crown our new champion we had our main event which would be a three-way uh for the inspire pro title yeah um yeah this was show four so we we made it past those original three shows um this was scheduled for january so we took uh two months off to build up to this um and we the feeling was we really needed something special for this, right? Yeah, we needed a, we needed something in much the same way that we brought Chuck Taylor in as a special guest on the first show, and so we started kind of kicking around ideas. Yeah. So, um, before we jump into this, and I'm taking this in kind of a different direction, one of the strangest road trips me and you have ever had, right? Um, the NWA forms a relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Oh, boy. Yeah. So a few weeks after our third show, um, I, I think actually a week to the day after our third show, uh, we set off to go back to Houston to watch this show. And, they, we, were, and we were actually cordially invited. Yes. Yes, we were. Um, <laughs> surprisingly, right? Yeah, and this was this was this was a big shit deal for a lot of wrestling fans, yeah. or it should have been, um, yeah. because uh, Jushin Thunder Liger was there. Liger, um, then you had Tenzon. Tenzon, yeah. Um, Kojima was not able to make the trip, so he was replaced by Gato, which was exciting for local wrestlers because Gato was the the Booker in um, New Japan. Yeah. Uh, on starting his excursion, basically getting dropped off for school was young Watanabe. Um, and then there was one other 
um, New Japan wrestler that was there as well, and I feel horrible since I'm uh, I'm botching that. That's fine, man. But um, but yeah, we yeah. W- you know we were excited to go. They had they had a uh, moved this event to a uh, a larger yeah venue. So just just to set the mood for our trip there, um, actually on the of the the last show, our third show. Uh, a good friend of mine from San Antonio uh, that I went to school with uh, passed away. So the morning of this was his funeral. And then uh, we, I grabbed Max and we drove in a fleeting rainstorm to this show. Like, I have no idea how we even made it. Um, we were late, in fact, I believe. Yeah, I think I think the opening match had happened, but we hadn't missed any New Japan. Yeah. Um so we show up and we sit in the the esteemed guest area. Do you remember that? Yeah. It was basically like the back row. Of yeah, the, the back row. Um, and and we need to paint this picture. As a fan, the opportunity to meet and uh, see Liger wrestle seems like something that you could really promote into a big gate. Yeah. Um, but... When we arrived there, I was astounded by how empty the building was. There, yeah. there were many, many rows of chairs. So I think that they anticipated something bigger too, but unfortunately, um, there just there there weren't that many people there. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, I still to this day don't know why. I mean, the quality of a lot of the shows that they were putting on, I guess, in some ways, spoke for themselves. But also the audience that they were cultivating, I don't think was interested in seeing these people. I remember going to uh, to one of their other shows, and uh, I believe that Kojima was on. Yeah, that, that was uh, when Kojima came back. Yeah, Kojima came back, but I think uh, a lot of that, oh, uh, yeah, I hope you beat the pants off that dirty Jap, was yeah. <laughs> pretty much yes. the uh, consensus amongst a lot of the dirtbag uh, vet-type fans that, would go to their shows and so they simply maybe just weren't largely amped about this and i don't think that they knew who to promote this to yeah um but it was it was sleeting it was cold and Biss's friend had just died. So, yeah, so ran, it was like a somber. Like. Yeah, someone ran over his dog. His house burnt down. No, it was just. It I was, was writing country music on the way there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm fucking. I'm, I'm fucking shotgun with Waylon over <laughs> here, and we're going. We're, <laughs> we're going to. We're going to see this show. Yeah. And what, was Rob Conway the NWA champ at that time? Yes. Okay. So it was Rob and Jax Dane versus Tenzon and somebody that filled in. Maybe it was. Jax versus Liger and Tenzon. I'm pretty sure it was because I think about right. I think Liger was fairly beat up. He was yeah. banged up, and so I don't think he was up to doing much other than tag matches at that and, point. Well, Tenzon's ankle has been destroyed for the past probably five years, so yeah, it's probably part of that as well. There's a moment in the show where, of course, Jax and Rob go over on Tenzon and Liger, and there's just this moment where. <laughs> Conway, whom I fucking cannot stand, uh, goes, All right, all you Americans, show these dirty Japs how loyal you are to us by giving us a hand. And, and it's just, it's very much just, uh, just kind of like yeah. disparaging of them. It's, yeah. it was very much like a rah rah USA, you fucking, 
goddamn bastards from not America. That's basically how it yeah. felt. I was really, you know, um, I was really put off by it, and uh, it, it, the atmosphere left a lot to be desired. I think a very important uh, thing to be mentioned is that there was a Kinsiera happening in the hall right next door. <laughs> yes, there was a Kinsiera happening, and yeah. Uh, yeah. and possibly better attended. Um, so I also maybe that's where the fans went. Maybe, I don't maybe, know. Yeah, I mean, so I also remember when we got there, Chaz Taylor limping up to us to explain that he had not been able to perform well in the tryout match because he had injured his leg. Oh yeah, like, this like was, it was some, a legit thing that he could have gotten on the show. This and, was some carny shit, yeah. right? This is where they were basically making people pay entrance fees to perform in a tryout match with the potential of getting in front of uh yeah, gato yeah gato and um yeah old it, Chaz apparently pulled a hammy or else he could have gotten that contract brother <laughs> could yeah yes sir so but the uh who, needs, who, who needed jericho when they could have had Chaz? Chaz taylor he he was kurt angle's first match brother yeah vince mcmahon watched his bungee cord match so we're bringing this story up for a reason. I just can't remember what it is. What? Why? Okay, so... <laughs> so the benefit of this is that Watanabe. We, we get to see Watanabe. And uh, he performs well. And um, we get the information needed to uh, to book him as he's on excursion. Uh, Tiger Hattori's information, to be exact. So at least there was that. And we got to see Liger. Yeah. Um, although not in the the match that we probably would have liked. And our interactions with Tony Brooklyn were uh, very pleasant. And in spite of the fact that I go, I told the NWA to go kick rocks. um, We were welcomed as guests, even though we were not on the guest list, though they told us we were (laughs) Um, that, that snafu was fixed. It just, it just smacked of uh, unpreparedness. Nevertheless, I remember being really pissed off because there was no new Japan merch. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. there were there were no shirts. There was no I, nothing. I was like, I'm gonna buy a liger mask, and yeah, no, was, there was, was nothing so there. Numb. It was just, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, that trip was important. I, it was. Oh, there's another reason that we uh, we're telling this story. Um, we'll we'll get to this next episode. Then okay. we just we'll I'll put a le- little leaf in this one. I I. Uh, I jumped the gun. I thought that we were going to talk about something else here. Okay. Um, but that, Wait, that trip's what, very important. What were we going to talk about? Um, Spill it, brother. Coming attractions. Coming attractions. Yeah. So this trip, we discussed and shopped a gimmick that will debut on the next show. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the little teaser like that. Okay. So one of the cool parts of the drive that I always remember is us starting with like a very vague idea of this, and by the end of the trip, like basically having it hashed out. Was Stroud with us? No. Was he? He was there though. Yeah, I think he drove on his own. Okay. He had to have. It, it, no, he was in the car with us. Was he, he? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. It was not a bad drive though. Yeah, that's the. Oh, it was yeah. a horrible drive, but. No, I mean you know it wasn't. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't donner party each other. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Maybe we should have. Yeah, moving right along. So, we come to Ecstasy of Gold. I hate vegan food. Oh, God. He made us eat it, right? Yeah, yeah. Fuck. (laughs) Anyway, no, no, but, you know. uh, Yeah, yeah, anyway, go on. So, we we open with a shot 
of Gary J's private dressing room. This was a cool thing that like started on Twitter and we just let grow into the, like this cool well, thing. I took the idea. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to go into the name, uh, ecstasy of gold, uh, you know, obviously references the title, but one of the things really unique about our shows was that I had put together a compilation of spaghetti Western themes. Uh, w one of which is, you know, Ennio Americone's uh, infamous uh, Ecstasy of Gold from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. In fact, as you stroll into the hall of any of our events, it is the first thing that you will hear. Um, and so, to me, it was kind of like a nod to that, though obvious. Um, but yeah, I was I was very excited for this. This, this would basically become our flagship event. Yeah. Um, it would be our mania. And it is, it is, a, it is a one show title that we have kept consistently. Um, but anyway, yeah, so the Gary J thing is running wild. Gary J yeah. mania is running wild on Twitter. And as I am wont to do, I like to make things that are stupid, uh, <laughs> occur. Uh, if someone makes a, a, a joke about something, I'll take that joke and I'll make it fucking real. Um, and so in this instance, I actually knew that there were some components in the bowels of the Marquesa theater. And I actually built Gary J, a private dressing room in the back of the Marquesa Holland Theater. And it was le legit like a green room. I yeah. mean, and I think, honestly, it was a joke. You know, it was supposed to be like, oh, I'm not coming unless I, you know, have my yeah. rider fulfilled. And that was a joke. Gary J complaining about his rider. But we fulfilled. And all the demands, honestly, uh, that he made were confined to the dressing room. Even though yeah. no fans went back there, that, you know, that that VHS copy of ape that he asked for that was on the fucking table. Yeah. Uh, it, that's how, that's how detailed I was. It was like, it, just cause you don't get to see inside the dollhouse yeah. doesn't mean that there isn't, you know, a refrigerator there. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, yeah. Anyway, the, the funniest thing though, is that, uh, yes, Gary J was in there shouting at people, but for the most part, I remember him being very lonely and sad yes. <laughs> in there cause we made him sit in yeah. there. So the, now the gag on this was that Gary wanted to be part of the shows from the beginning. Like, so we had the St. Louis car load. Gary was from St. Louis. Um, really wanted to be a part of the cards. Um, he's one of my favorite people to work with. Um, so I was super stoked to get to uh, to have him around. So, um, and, and a guy that... Um, it's usually one of the first off my tongue, right? Yeah. Whenever we need somebody. Um, doesn't always work, but fuck, man. He's one of my favorite people and... De yeah, definitely somebody I like to have around. Yeah. And, uh, you know, honestly, there was a huge sense of anticipation for this show because the card was stacked. It was it was going to be a long night. I think we all knew that going in. Um, and of course, one of the big scores that we had for this is that we had set up and we had started to promote this show built kind of around not only our coronation of a champion, but around Ray Rowe versus Chris Hero. Yes. Uh, old Cleveland beef. We uh, we knew that we could get a killer match around. Yeah. around them and we knew that it you know people would be excited to see chris yeah so yeah and kind of fell into our laps a little bit right um yeah. chris hero was released from his developmental deal um you know for reasons unstated right um and this happened like just perfectly at the time right and kelly had remained close to him. Kelly Kyle, who Kelly was a photographer yep. at our shows. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if he reached out to me or I reached out to Kelly 
And the question was, are you interested in Chris? And I delayed because the rumors were that he was incredibly out of shape and that's why he had been released. So, um, we watched, was this, it was Dragon e- Gate, it, it, Dragon Gate or Evolve, USA. one of the two. I believe it was Dragon Gate was USA because it? it was in, I think they were in that weird, like, burnt the, out like the, the building, building that, yeah. like, looked like no one knew that they were actually in there. Yeah. Um, so we watch it and he's in phenomenal fucking shape. Yeah. And I think, like, as I'm sitting on your couch watching this fucking internet pay per view, <laughs> hey, you know, like, hey, bud, when you get this, hit me up type shit, right? Um, and we had the business done very quickly. Um, so that was a big deal. Um, most of the time, I say that I like to get people going up the mountain versus coming down, but this was a case where perfect storm getting somebody that had been in the news you know we were one of the first shows that he was back on um worked out worked out phenomenally yeah but anyway that was at least so you know uh hype was huge anticipation was high we'd been out for two months we had a lot of time to build and promote and we had a fairly good gate i would say um oh yeah we cracked the 300 number yeah right we hit around 325 um and we it got to the point where we started having the discussions of at what point do we have to turn people away or when do we move yeah yeah, we were people kept telling us within the building you know you guys are gonna have to get a bigger venue yeah anyway so all good stuff to hear right yeah so but yeah and we launch into the event yeah so first match um, Alex Reigns, who is part of the World Class Syndicate, uh, aligned with Carson, wrestles that guy Scott, Scotty Santiago to help uh, get revenge for Scotty Going getting over his, on Carson, his, yeah. his pin on Carson. And wouldn't you know it? Quick roll up, your winner, Scotty Santiago. That guy, Chance. Yeah, yes, going sir. wild. People were hot. Yep. So, uh, great chemistry here. With, with Scotty and all the guys in the world class syndicate, um, you know we we continue to build this rocket around Scotty, um, and yeah, the uh, crowd loves him. Yes, sir. So the next match is the Pump Patrol uh, versus Legion, and this is Blasphemer and Morbius. Um, this the, uh, the black metal maniacs of yes. Inspire Pro, Sans so, Gregory James, their yeah, their 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 kingpin. So he's going to do something later on in the show. The pumps bring out a fan of theirs in a segment where Max almost gets me murdered by Ray Rowe. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they have a letter. Um, this is Shane Taylor. Yes. Um, I don't. Shane was not somebody we were. I'm just going to say it. We weren't super excited to work with. No. Although clearly is an extremely talented guy. Um, He was friends with Ray, but because we ran on Sundays came with a lot of of baggage as far as booking. Yeah. um, To put it lightly. So uh, Max had came up with an idea uh, and it was basically that the pumps were going to like help him get in shape. Uh, Ray gets a hold of this written promo and like, comes and grabs me with it in my face and like you're making him look like a fucking idiot like what i'm like holy fuck all right i was like jared wayne's like sitting there watching me like wide-eyed i'm like all right 
what do we need to change that makes it still work, right? So we, we make a few tweaks to it. God knows what the fuck it does to the actual original promo, but I don't die, all right? <laughs> um, and uh, and we start with the Pump Patrols and Shane Taylor here, um, which I think it, it was just an appearance, right? Shane, he didn't wrestle, right? No, I mean, we were going to build towards Shane, basically. This is at a point where we were trying to, or I was trying to start to build trios, because I, I loved yeah. the idea of eventually having like a trios title, though we never got there, but... Um, I also thought that the idea of Shane and these, you know, two little goofy guys was visually really interesting. And even though uh, Shane was not into it and Ray was mad, which I don't remember him being mad. I guess I missed that. Yeah. Um, I took the brunt of that one, bro. Shane, Shane, well, I don't, well, Ray also really liked me. I don't think he would have yelled at me. He yelled at me, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You should have sent him my way, man. Um yeah, it was it was a more comedy based role, but what I wanted to do was ultimately uh, build toward uh, Shane turning on the pumps, and then him just beating the crap out of them. Yeah. I thought that would have been like really gotten him over. I wanted to, I honestly was not a fan of bringing in Shane as a heel. Yeah. Um, and I thought that, I, I mean, honestly, he wore the part well. He played it really well. Yeah. He was very he funny. He was a pro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's you know. It was different for him, but it's like, you know, it would have been a different role and it would have put him on the map as a face and we could have gone from there. That's what I wanted to do. Because yeah. especially knowing that Ray really wanted to work against him, we needed yeah. to do something that kind of established him. Yeah. And he had had he had, had good matches that we got feedback from in Houston with Ray and with Brent McKenzie. So we, we knew that he was capable. It was just finding the vehicle to get where we needed to be with it. It was one of those situations where I wasn't trying to put down anybody or, or anything yeah. like that. It just was just a, it was a spot, and I wanted to see how he fit in. And, and you know, sometimes, as I, I think, like, Albert cringed when I told him this. I said, sometimes I need to see if people can take direction. Yeah. I told him this. I told Albert this at our last show. He's like, why do you do shit like this? And I said, because I need to know that people can listen. Because yeah. if you can listen, cool. If you can't, I don't need to be. I don't need to be around you. you I know? think, and that's something that we've used battle royals for. Oh and, yeah, and, and I'll just—it's the first time on this podcast, but it's well known, man. I dread them. I dread them. I love them. Yeah, but I love them to death, and I think our battle royals are uh, always phenomenal. Uh, so, but the benefit is that you learn very quickly without exposing somebody to a very important spot or, or needing to rely on them if they can follow direction. And somebody had mentioned never ba book a battle royal a promoter that notoriously books like five people battle royals, but whatever. Um, and, and I piped in and was like, well, I've used them for this and it's been very beneficial. And they basically just stubbornly, you know, Oh, there's never a time for him. Fuck you. I've seen you book him a million times. But I digress. I'll, um, I'll, I will say this. As much as, as Biss laments the Battle Royals that I book, they're very methodically planned out. I do. They're very detail-oriented. But the thing is, is that even if I get only 60% of that, that, that 100%, it still comes off as phenomenal. And I've had a lot of promoters, like, you know, people who are, are veteran promoters come up and say, wow, that's better than any Battle Royal I've seen on TV or pay-per-view ever, you know? And it's and and they always you can do them well. I can tell you right now, a lot of the storylines that come out of those, they can serve multiple you know masters. It's it's. I'm I'm just cheap. 
Yeah. G- give me a, give me a one on one match versus ten people in a whatever. Man, you've used them to try out people that you wanted to look have, at before. I so have benefited from that. Sit there and whine all you want, and we'll schmuck. we'll get to a very important one um, in a few shows here for sure. Yeah, yeah. So they they have they have yielded some huge moments for Inspire Pro. Yeah. So while I can sit here and say that as a general statement, I dislike them. They have benefited us quite a bit. Something that didn't benefit us. <laughs> oh, man. We go in there. Fuck. Is it time? Yeah. So, we have, in previous episodes, spoken about why we had not started with a women's division, what we wanted out of a women's division if we had it. As the kids say, this isn't it, Chief. So, <laughs> um, at this point, I think we're still working towards a Stroud-run company that is based with women's wrestlers. Um, He has attached himself to Paige Turner. So this is the the first main character that we have for this division. Who is young in the business, inexperienced in green. So... Then I think we need to establish this. Paige was the, the... The figure who enamored uh, Great Depression the last show, she has uh, a gimmick where she is basically uh, very disparaging of the illiterate. She is a librarian. That is her. That is her shtick. She wears. Man, that gimmick will get over one day, won't it? Yeah, yeah. I think, but I think it. I think it it bears. It bears. Bears emphasis. You got to like kind of talk about the actual gimmick. I mean, the gimmick. And she honestly, she she did well with it. She was yeah. good on the mic, yeah. um, but she just wasn't where she, she wasn't needed to be. She wasn't ready in the ring. Yeah. Um, so, Stroud's idea is to take a group of, as he phrased it, suicide girl-looking girls to have her reform. Which is almost like a repeat kind of, of the black metal thing where you have Greg yeah. James kind of in, absorbing people into a stable. You in know? a way, but... The thing that rubbed me wrong was he came to me and was like, well, you're the guy, you're the scouting guy. Get me these girls. Yeah. Well, fuck you. (laughs) You know, Um, it doesn't work like that. Right. So we we got off right on the foot that I didn't want to fucking be on, which was just doing shit for the sake of doing shit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this so, was not this was not a we're all friends club. That's not yeah. the way that I wanted the comp- company to be run. So, I, and I take this as a challenge. Um, and I try to at least find some girls that are working a goth gimmick. So, one of the girls that has been on top in other promotions that I've never worked with is Claudia. Uh, and I've heard some stories about the drama that she can have. And I'm like, okay. I also have had success with other people that people have told me, Hey, they're all drama because of this. And I've worked with them and I've been able to get something. So I've talked to her a little bit. We've explained the gimmick and she is all for it because she gets a booking out of it. Um, so she has sort of a goth look to her. I think I have four or five candidates for these three spots. All right. So this is the first one we're going to, we're going to try to go with. Um, now, once you put that that requirement on me, I'm not bringing in the best talent. I'm only bringing in talent that fits your requirement. Mm-hmm. And that always rubbed me the wrong way. 
Because this is the start. This is the first thing we're well, putting it's forward. Also, it's also this idea where he's uh, having people uh, wear this gimmick. And I learned fairly quickly that you can't just uh, concoct something and have people bite onto it. Yeah. A lot of people are very protective of their image. Um, and, of course, when he, you know, what what he failed to account for was that the idea sucked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just putting it very plainly. It wasn't, yeah. it was an idea... He wanted to call them the bookmarks, yeah. um, which is a, a funny turn of phrase. And you just kind of go, ah, but yeah. a, a, an angle that does not make. Yeah. Uh, and of course, what you have to realize is that, you know, booking is circular. And while I plan shit a year out, I kind of always know where I'm going with it. It's like, where do you go with this once you have this stable and you put all your eggs in a fucking basket, basically? Yes. Uh, you, know? you know, this is the first, this isn't, you know... We've already developed a division, and this is part of it. This is your first step. No, you start with your fucking Mike Dell and your Ricky Starks. Yeah. You don't. You don't start with fucking. I mean, fuck. I'll go back to the bit. Don't take it the wrong way. You don't start with Mister Sistine, right? Yeah. You you start with the building blocks, and then you build to that stuff. Um, and this is another part. So this was where the creative for the women's division was kind of muddled and kind of we were gaslighted um you know so he would go to max and basically say i want to do this on my own and then he would come to me and basically present it as me and max have decided i'm going to do this help me out with it um and me and max are like basically the motherfucker basically put a kick me sign on my back and i had no fucking clue yeah. Like, I had no idea that, like, he was saying, oh, Max approved, oh, Max, and I came up. I know. Yeah. You know what? Brandon never respected me enough to admit that I knew what the fuck I was doing or that I was maybe a good writer. It was just, like, more of his competitive bullshit, but he kind of used me as a way to kind of, like, couch his ideas to you. And, yeah. and then you, 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 were, you were probably sitting there scratching your head I'm going, like, Max said this? I'm like, why is Max making me do this extra effort to make this bullshit work, right? Of course, if we had stopped for like 30 seconds and been like, did you say this? We would have figured this shit out fucking a but lot there was, sooner. there was no reason to be suspicious of anything. Yeah, because everything, you know, we didn't, yeah, we didn't know what we know now. Right? No. So the match is horrible. The match is not good. Paige is green. Claudia is selfish. Um, the finish is that Cla- uh, Claudia gets hit by a book by Paige, which is supposed to knock her out. All of the mist. Paige drags her to the back, and then she becomes the first bookmark. Claudia's, uh, my impression was that Claudia thought once she got out in front of that crowd, the crowd would eat her up with a silver fucking spoon, and that she would just be over like gangbusters, and then she'd have to just be forced to shed this stupid angle (laughs) that we'd hung on her. Just the biggest pack of fucking ego I'd ever seen on anybody. And it's like, look, man. I look at somebody, uh, somebody's inherent value based on whether or not they can take something that maybe kind of sucks and spin it into gold. But she didn't do that. She went out there and, uh, you know, she was, she yeah. was, she was a fucking pageant kid. Yeah. And, and that's that, not literally, but that's, that was the, that's like, you know, that was the attitude. Yeah. Little fucking John Bonet out there acting like her shit don't stink. Yeah. And, uh, just her attitude backstage too, just stunk. So I was just like, Oh, you are the epitome of everything that I don't want in my locker room. Yep. That was like the first, I think the first show where I was like, this is the first person where I was like, I do not <laughs> want to work with this person yep. again. It became very clear to me 
why I had not worked with her. Yeah. So she also, fuck it. She had a great deal of heat with Jessica James, right? So we had already had the weird misstep with the first angle. And then a good, Jess was a good, and to this day is a good friend of mine. Basically after the show was like, so I fucked up and you're just going to bring her in. Right. Um, and it was like, oh, fuck. You know, not something that I had thought about. Not something, you know, I could have greased the wheel before and gone, hey, we're think, using her. I think we I pumped the brakes on Jessica uh, with the full intention of doing something with her. But we kind of wanted people to forget. Yeah, we, the, had to, we had to repackage it. Yeah, we had to. We needed a little bit of time to let the, you yeah. know, to let that memory of her coming out fade. So, you know, so, you know, that's something I'm dealing with with a, a friend of mine. being like, no, I'm not, I'm not replacing you with her. I'm not going to just have her do your gimmick because that was a, an issue that was in Dallas. People would cut out Jess to just have Claudia do basically what she had been doing. Um, so I had to explain that wasn't the deal. It just became a lot of drama involved right out the bat. We're having all this drama. Um, the match was not good. was not what I expected. It was not worth the trouble. And, and I, you know, because I'm kind of known. Um, women's wrestling is something that, that is attached to me. It's part of my reputation. So to present this, I, I felt fucking sick to my stomach about. Um, hated the match. Didn't enjoy where the creative was going. Didn't enjoy particularly working with Brandon up until this point. Um, so uh, what else can I fucking say? Was was quite angry about this this whole segment. It was it was up. I, I think it was the first moment where I went. Wow, this sucks about something that's on our one of our, one yeah. of our shows. I mean, yep. I think honestly there have only been a handful of moments where that's happened, and that's quite impressive, you yeah. know. Um, but anyway, let's move along. Yeah. So from that, then we had uh, Alexander Rudolph, uh, James Claxton, and the Great Depression in a three-way dance. This was built up on the last show. Yeah. And uh, Depression goes over, I believe, getting a pinfall on Claxton. Yes, this continues to kind of build depression. Um. And of course, after the match, this is this is uh, this builds into something else that happens at a later date. Um, uh, we establish that that Sistine and uh, uh, Donnie Brooks and Dylan Dunbar have uh, you know have a problem with uh, Rudolph's bland gear and presentation. And uh, after he's laid out, uh, he gets uh, he gets attacked by this trio, uh, uh, and they basically try to cut his hair, but yep. Rudolph fights out of it, and this sets up what will all ultimately be the wrestling debut of Mr. Sistine, who will debut the greatest wrestling gear. He is going to show all these J-Brones in their kick pads. What a real Sistine thing, because you run into people who are just so absorbed in their gear and how they look, and I think the details fall between the cracks sometimes, and it's like, why don't you worry about your fucking fundamentals, man, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, but anyway... This this sets up uh, this sets up a grudge match between Rudolph and Sistine uh, that will occur at a later date. But that was you know that's how that match ended. Depression moves on, still kind of looking like a monster. You know he's uh, he's he's uh, he's being set up to uh, to be meaningful as a contender. So from there we have Carson and Moonshine, um, and they are taking on the team of Gigolo James Johnson and Frankie Fisher. Now, this wasn't the first 
uh, tag that we had pegged for this spot. I can't remember who it was originally going to be. Yeah, I wanted to. I did want to work with 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 Gigolo, and yeah. uh, so I was because I'd seen him in ACW, yeah. uh, and I was a huge fan of his. I thought he was he had such a unique look, but the way that he moved in the ring was adverse to just his appearance. He was kind of you know kind of. I don't. He he was kind of like not not in shape. He wasn't a cut guy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's also of Asian descent. You don't see a lot of guys who are you know, Asian in pro wrestling. So he has you know he has that he has a unique look. He's kind of pasty. Yeah. But once he gets in the ring, that guy at that point in time would fucking move and do really weird shit that I've never seen anybody do. Yeah. And I was so excited to have him on the card. Um. You know he was. He was accessible. And then, of course, Frankie Fisher. Uh, for MPX, which was where Gigolo was primarily wrestling at the time. So it was sort of it was sort of a favor to MPX for us to put Frankie on the card as well. Yeah, you know, we got, we got to see what he, you know, see yeah, what he did. Got and, to try him out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Gigolo James Johnson. Uh, I want to say 2004, right? 2005 for sure. Um, that time period was a big staple of PCW in Arlington, Texas. Uh, they were on local TV. Um, they, you know, deal in the area. Um, he was their cruiserweight champion. This was before he got kind of the, the pudginess to him. He wasn't uh, lean or, or, or built at the time, but he was just kind of like, a, you know. And yeah, just did really cool stuff. I remember searching out the tape because he didn't travel much at the time. So once he started traveling, I was actually part of the group responsible for getting him into anarchy. And then when it was clear that he was traveling again, uh, yeah, I know that you were big on him. Um, so we definitely yeah, jumped on he, getting he, him and down. He, and he had kind of come up with uh, with Palmer and, of course, Athena, who went on to become Ember Moon. Yeah. Um, you know, they were they were kind of like a, they were like a, a good uh, thick of thieves up there, yeah. you know. Um. Anyway. Yeah. So well, um, Moonshine and Carson go over, over here. Yeah. Uh, but, but and Gigolo got over in front of the crowd. Like yes. that was really important. Yes. So we we go from that tag match into Lowrider and Sammy Guevara versus Bolt Brady and Barrett Brown, and I'll be damned. Bolt looks like fucking Kota Ibushi in this match. He is just fucking cut. Uh, Barrett Brown is is looking good. All four of these guys just look amazing in this. And this, thing. of course, cover, co- carries over from uh, Sammy and Barrett yeah. having their disagreements uh, during their match against the Dagger Brothers. Yeah, and low ride. So low rider is from the Valley outside of Houston. You know that general area from there up to to Houston, um, and then I guess over to Laredo, and then inside northern Mexico, uh, running kind of that loop. Um, and you know, he's a guy that pops up on our show from time to time. Kind of is a, a character, a, a characterful, a colorful character behind the you know, behind the scenes. I don't really want to get into a lot of those stories, but he's a guy that pops up quite a bit. Yeah, uh, he was just on uh, AEW. They brought him in, so he's a guy that's been around for a while. Been wrestles that lucha style. Um, endlessly entertaining to yeah. watch. Um. And Sammy was a huge proponent of his constantly going, bring in Lowrider, bring yeah. in Lowrider. Yeah. So those two used to travel together quite often. Uh, 
endlessly entertaining to watch, endlessly painful to talk to. Oh, yeah. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> yeah. So, but this match is great. Uh, Sammy and Lowrider pick up the win. Um, oh, boy, did we miss something. Hmm. But we're going to go into it right here. So, after <clears throat> the match, Sammy grabs the mic, starts to self-hype himself, and then um, points out someone who just so happens to be in the crowd. Oh, yeah. Who is 1ACH? Yeah. Who had shown up to the building about an hour and a half before the show. And uh, do you want me to take this story or do you want to tell your side of it? Okay, so before doors open, Albert's walking around. And, and I don't even really remember what the deal was. But there was some there was some beef between you and he. And I remember you walking up. And telling him that he needed to buy a fucking ticket if he wanted to be at the show. I, I think the exact words were, hey, bro, what you doing? Tickets go on sale at this time. Yeah. Yeah. And Albert blew the fuck up. Yep. He started yelling and it. I kind of got between y'all. And I believe I walked off with Albert and we had a talk and we cooled shit down and I cooled you down and we made we made nice. Yeah. I, I feel like that's. I, so, I like I helped bury the hatchet. Yeah. I believe he was he was living in San uh, St. Louis, and he was in town. I knew he was in town. Um, there was some weird, you know, drama from the first show where I didn't think that he he didn't treat you like family. Yes, basically, um, and uh, I knew I was like, okay, I'm just waiting for him to ask to come on the show, right? He didn't ask. I was like, this motherfucker, after what happened in the first show, is just going to stroll in here like he owns the place? No. So I was looking for a fight. If you if you aren't family, don't show up to the family reunion yeah. and expect <laughs> and to just grab plate, a... Right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's how it felt. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I was happy to see Albert, <laughs> even though he, you know, I don't know. At that, at that stage in time, yeah. we hadn't really had any issues, but we had issues develop <laughs> at yeah. a later date. So... Max calms down the situation, and by the end of the uh, by the end of it, me and him were fucking laughing and talking about old times. And Sammy comes out, and Sammy's not super well known at this time. No, but Albert points and goes, "I want to, I want to work with him. I want to wrestle." Him. I was like, "All right, let's see what we can do." So right? let's flash flash forward to Sammy taking the mic, putting himself <laughs> over. He's pointing at people, going, "I'm better than you. Yeah. I'm better than you, and I'm better than you." And Albert is kind of walking along one of the back rows. He's trying to hide himself. He, well, kind of. I think he didn't even expect anything. I think he was like getting a drink or something. No, no, no. Because I was sitting right with him, so um, we were together right next to the commentary table, and there's a big stage. Yeah. No, so, Albert was walking to join you. And Sammy points at him and says, and I'm better than you, Albert. So, so and no, then, Albert actually had got it, was like, saw him start pointing to people uh, and was like, let me go get behind the curtain. Uh, right? Okay. And he's halfway there and he's, ACH, I'm better than you. And Albert had told me, you know, I think I had said something like, well, if you want to go out there and set up the business afterwards that's fine he's like no i don't want to take away from barrett and bolt that's cool so he's walking halfway and like <laughs> fucking sammy calls him out right and he turns and he looks at me like a kid that got caught with his hand in the cookie jar right i remember that and i just look at him and i go well it's too late now go get him you know yep. 
So he goes down there, he puts uh, Bolt and Barrett over and basically sets up a match uh, for our next show or, you know, in the future with Sammy Guevara and we jump on it. Yep. So the next show you'll get to hear us talk about ACH and Sammy Guevara. What an encounter it was. (laughs) Yes, it was. Anyway. So we go from that uh, into a four-way match to uh, crown our first number one contender. Um, we've already talked about how important it was for us not to just have paper mache contenders and to have built them up. Um, so this match was going to be very important because it was going to be the first challenger. And and uh, going into this, uh, you know, we had uh, we had a very special man on in this match, yeah. uh, Franco D'Angelo. Franco D'Angelo was someone who was. Man, just a, just a physical beast, a specimen, a really smart guy. I believe he's a teacher. Yeah, um, yeah but, he's an educator. Yeah, he's an educator. Uh, but it also uh, just physically just uh, just a genetic freak. Yeah. Um, and the one of the more important things there is to kind of note is that we had filmed some vignettes. Now, Franco had been in a car accident, I believe, yep. that had put him on the shelf for quite some time. Um, and almost two years. Yeah, there was there was a time, I believe, where they didn't know if he was going to walk again. Yeah. Um, Franco, uh, Franco getting in this accident, man, you know, people put things aside. It doesn't matter what, what mode they're working, but people really followed his progress. They really cared about him. They wanted to make sure he was okay. And so the idea of bringing Franco back and making this like a re-debut for him, yeah. uh, was a big deal. So him being in this match was a really big deal. Yeah. So he was coming along. I think he was starting to, to take, uh, a little bit of training time and I, we had talked and I reached out to him and it was basically something along the lines of, Hey, once you make your big return and all the places you were working, we'd like to work with you. Right. Well, it turns out, I think I was one of the first promoters to contact him and tell him that. So I I did feel at the time that like, Hey, his big return should be in the spots where they knew him beforehand. But, you know, I guess, I don't know if those promoters just assumed that it would happen or what, but he really took to heart that we reached out and talked to him. So this was actually um, one of his first uh, first matches back. Yeah. It, it may have been the, the first. I believe it was. It was definitely, it was the first in Texas. Or, yeah. I mean, the first in Austin, for sure. So the other people in the match, uh, one of the other interesting angles or wrinkles to this match was the character known as Void. And Void... Uh, you may remember was the character that Mike Dell played after, uh, at, at, you know, when he first came back to the company. He was this character, this masked backyarder uh, that nobody knew was Mike Dell. And then, of course, he shed the mask. And now we are seeing the reemergence of Void, uh, who is clearly not Mike Dell. Yeah, because that guy's in the main event. Yeah. So, so who's this Void? Who's this guy? We're going to find out. Yeah. Um, uh, Jojo Bravo. Who is on a tear at this point. Yes. Uh, huge fan favorite. He's just coming off of defeating Robert Evans. Yeah. And the aforementioned Gary J. Yes. Who doesn't want to leave his... <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to leave his dressing room. His dressing room because he loves it so much. And they're watching Ape. Yeah. So JoJo goes and pulls him out and has a stack of um, Katy Perry. Yes. Katy Perry pictures. 
that he's just throwing out to the that ground. Was, that was one of his writer demands. He wanted a bunch of uh, photos of Katy Perry. It was like 25, 25 Katy Perry. K- yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, and it's like one of those details where if you're following the show and you see Gary J ranting about Katy Perry photos and then JoJo goes into the dressing room and drags him out through the crowd as he's like just making it rain Carrie, Katy Perry photos. Yeah. So the history, I'm, I'm going to take a, a slight rewind here. But the history between me and Gary is we we used to have a blast doing commentary together. Yeah. It was a real, like, Bobby the Brain and Monsoon-type dynamic. So one of the cool things about this show is actually, I think it's the Carson-Moonshine match. Me and Gary are on commentary together. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Um, but JoJo pulls him in. It's JoJo paired off with Gary. And it's uh, Franco in the Void. Yeah. Basically. So... Um, this is elimination. I don't, I, I, I don't believe so. I don't think so. I think it's one fall. One fall, and of course Franco goes up. No, this what? is elimination. Is it? This is elimination. So Franco eliminates Gary, and then the Void grabs the ring bell and knocks JoJo out. Yes. DQing the Void, leaving a unconscious JoJo. And a baby-faced Franco who has no choice but to cover the unconscious JoJo. That's right. And then JoJo comes to and asks, what happens? Did I win? And Franco goes, no, bud, you didn't. Um, pretty cool little moment. Yeah, Good and, it, and it, it, it kind of it leaves this weird moment of curiosity where people are like, wow, uh, Void just kind of set Franco up to take that, that W, you know? Yeah. Um, there's in, intrigue there. Yeah. And this established Franco as the first contender... To the championship. Yeah. So creatively, that's how that all works. Now, nuts and bolts wise, um, Mike Dell works a very specific style. Yeah. I'm going to get into the nerdy um, wrestling stuff here. So the Mike Dell works a lot kind of like how Bret Hart used to work on a different level that he has the Mike Dell match and he makes it work with whatever opponent he has. So Franco was a guy that could definitely accommodate that we yeah could, we could work that together so stylistically we had a great matchup with our champion um that did not become the house style <laughs> there was a, a different no. house style developing underneath this so that becomes important later on um yeah, but i thought under our roof there was a, a definite uh there was definitely room to uh accommodate all styles yeah but no, you, you you are correct, um, and I think you want to talk about when we started to see cracks with Dell. Uh, it really was. He's a guy who's very comfortable doing a certain formula, mm-hmm. and I was not comfortable with that. I wanted him to branch out and do different things. I thought that he could be. I wanted to see him pair off with people that you'd never see him pair off with. Yeah, and and Mike was all Mike was comfortable. With the people he was comfortable with. Yeah, for example, Barrett Brown really wanted to work with Dell. Yeah. And Dell was very much like... It, it was new. It was new, it was different, yeah. it was out... And not necessarily out of his comfort zone, because whenever Dell really applies himself and wants to do something, he's great, no matter yeah. what. Um, But yeah, so that was kind of... That gave us the opportunity there. Um, Now, Franco saw himself as the face of a company. Yeah. From from the go. He's, he's an alpha guy, right? I, I think um, a misstep that I had is I always, even no matter what I, I said at the time, I viewed it as, as this comeback pop. And then whatever happens, happens, right? Yeah. So, but Franco, Franco was driven. And as you'll see, you know, took 
a comeback pop and stretched it out for quite a long while. So, um, just a little background there. So, Franco is now our number one contender. And we go into um, the first uh, special match of the night. Uh, Greg James takes on uh, Watanabe, who is on excursion, uh, who we have uh, seen and gotten contact information from our harrowing journey to Humble, Texas. <laughs> um, this was not received well. Um, myself and Amy, I, and I, I sent you a message that just said, damn, I can be really good on commentary, and mm-hmm. you know sold me. But... Um, <laughs> this was me and Eamon were on commentary. I had a lot of fun uh, calling this match. Yeah, it was it was a slower pace than I think people were were ready for. The last talent from Japan that had been on an excursion in Austin was Tazawa. Yeah. So if you were expecting that, then this was not going to be that. Um. So Greg, Greg kind of dialed back some of the character stuff that had helped him out in other matches uh i think to focus on just having the best match in ring that he could here um i think yeah it definitely wasn't what i anticipated i didn't think the match was bad yeah um i I think if he had sprinkled in some more of his character stuff it would have put it over the top absolutely so but what i'm basically trying to tell you is that the evil character was born and inspired. For <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, you, you have to, you have to, to look at it. Watanabe didn't have very many opponents on his excursion. One of them was unholy death Greg, metal Gregory James, yeah. and then he pops back up in New Japan as evil with the eye makeup and the fucking staff. So, I'm just saying, could be. Yeah, I'm, I think that's bullshit. But no, um, I'm I'm not not taking no, but, credit but, for it. But hey, like you know, the the idea that he was on that card uh, is surreal at this yeah. point in time, knowing what he's gone on to do. Yeah. Um. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, Greg James, uh, Greg James up continues to kind of build this streak of himself being a a, a potential contender down the line. Yeah. Um. Builds continues to build him as as formidable. So. So and the cool thing too was Watanabe had been a junior, so this was a cool chance. Uh, the direction from us was for him to work as big as he could. Yeah. So, um, I I love excursions. I really do. I think they're one of the coolest things in wrestling. So to be able to be a part of it and then to be able to let him work on what New Japan wanted him to work on was really cool to me. Absolutely. Um, from there. We go into Dalton versus Starks one. Oh boy, this is great. This this match melted my fucking face off. I that's that's all I can say. I was these guys had these guys had some stank on that that motherfucker man. Uh, it it was just it was. I think at one point someone in the crowd turned to me and said, "Are they really hitting each other?" <laughs> like people thought that there was like a legit just. Like they thought that they were legit beating the fuck out of each other. Like they thought this has gotten out of hand. You know, <laughs> yeah. people, that was like yeah. one of those moments where I was like, "Oh man, this is really good." Because people were coming up to me going, like, "Are they really killing each other?" Yeah. But this was they man. Those guys worked so well together. That match was phenomenal. So and of course, yeah. uh, Ricky. I believe Ricky's character yeah. uh, reemerges once again with him just not yep. won't, not won't, controlling his temper. Won't let go of the hold. Yep, and therefore so, it costs him the match. Yep. He needs to get his shit together and stop snapping. But anyway, that's that's where this goes, and it's a it's a great match and worth 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 tracking down. 
So we go from there, and if you want to track that match down, you can go to the High Spots Network, the best nine ninety nine in the business. Da, 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 da. So we go from that to uh, to Hero versus Row. Uh, this was this was amazing, man. This yeah. was a different. This was you know caviar next to our porterhouse steak, right? This yeah. was we. We were putting on pretty damn good matches, but this thing was Next at a level. different level. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, nobody was nobody was sitting. No, it's just, uh, or at least I don't remember anybody sitting. I remember the, like that that home stretch. People were just losing yeah, their I, minds. I think the chairs just got pushed to the back of the building. Yeah, and, yeah. It, it was amazing. Yeah, you know that was a, that was a match uh, worthy of a standing ovation. I believe it got it. Um, yeah. And and you know, uh, I, I I have chills thinking about yeah. it still. So lesson learned. We at this point we wanted to continue working with Hero. Yeah, we had, we had tons of ideas. Yeah. So we planted a couple seeds. Now the one was we we're like, all right, get on the the mic and ask who you want to see face you next. And in my mind, there was no doubt that the crowd wasn't going to say anything but Ricky Starks. Yeah. And I think we we planted my roommate, who was not the most boisterous person, to yell out Ricky Starks just in case. Well, what we got was like 25 different fucking names. Yeah, right? of course. Ricky was one of them, right? But it wasn't this clear like I, I saw it in my mind. So we plant the seed for Ricky because Chris responds to that. He goes into business for himself, brother, and uh, talks about doing a tag team match against somebody with... Uh, with Roe. With Roe, which is classic fucking vet carny type stuff because, you know, a tag match is, you know, half the work, right? Um, and then we have uh, we have Vega come out. Uh, Vega was in a weird position because he hadn't been in the company in six months, right? Uh, he he was in the title picture, so there wasn't any reason to bring him down to do anything else because he was locked in. But it had been six months since they had seen Vega, and we needed um, we needed to add some jazz to something, so we we had to put a little little edge on him. So we basically had him come out and go, well, fuck Ricky Starks. If you want to face the best, face Vega. And Hero basically leads, well, what do you think, Chris? And he basically leads with Hero going, what do I think? I think you're an asshole. And now we have we can do Vega and Hero, yeah. which is a cool Cleveland thing. We can do Starks and Hero. We can do a tag match. It's whatever. I think Dalton got mentioned, too. I think Dalton was back there by himself screaming yeah. his own name. But, you know. <laughs> He was, so, in, he was in Gary's dressing room screaming his own name. Yeah, probably. So, but we have all this cool stuff set up. Um, fuck it. Let's dive into why Chris Hero never returned to Inspire. All right. So, at this time, the guest talent was staying at Stroud's guest room. He had a guest bedroom. Yep. And uh, Hero stayed with Stroud. There was a blizzard. Um, not here, but in, um, like, Hero was staying in Florida, and there was a blizzard all throughout um, the southeast, like, through Atlanta, um, Charlotte, and all those areas. So, he had his flight delayed two days, so he stayed with us for an extra two days. So, basically, as soon as I got off of work, uh, the first day I had off of work, and I just drove him around Austin all day. Yeah, I remember that. He had yeah. a blast. Yeah, and then the second day, I picked him up as soon as I was done with work. I, I told him, hey, I can't stay 16 hours today. As soon as I was done, I jetted, I picked him up. I drove him around. Um, <clears throat> you know, he bought me 
bought me dinner, was a super cool dude driving around, heard a lot of, of cool stories um, from when I was a fan, right? So, you know, that was pretty cool. And then we reminisced about the, the times that he'd been in Austin. Yeah. Super cool guy. So, it was a WrestleMania we, we were watching here. And Stroud hits us up and is like, we can never use Hero again. Like, what the fuck's going uh, on, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I forgot about this, yes. man. So, uh, what Stroud had told us was that he was making passes at his girlfriend. Um, later on, I found out that it was not that at all. Um, it had been completely overblown. But, at this time, I have... Chris Hero on one side, who is an internationally known fucking wrestler. And I have my ring announcer who has nothing behind him and no reason for anyone to stick up for him. And my mindset was, well, Brandon's here every show. Yeah. Hero is a guy that's only going to be here once in a while. We're going to stick up for the guy that's here every show. We're going to stick up for family. Yeah. Man, that hurts. Yeah. Just to hear that word attached to that motherfucker. I hate but, to say it, but you have yeah. that's that's that, the way that it was. That was the feeling though, you know, right? Like I mean there were there were so many times when people wanted to kill him and yep. we I mean you gotta understand that Stroud never really did much to endear himself to anybody in the locker room because this is a guy who would go to parties that pro wrestlers were at and he would say things like I make more money writing about wrestling in one week than you make in a year. Yeah. And when you say that to those guys, man, it makes them want to fucking, you know, put a little poison on your salad. Yeah. You know? So the other thing was, so Stroud, Stroud never picked up the business of pro wrestling, you know? Yeah. In a very similar way, right? Like, uh, you know, a food critic can go and tell you whether or not food is good or not well i think a, a better uh, a, a better more kindred uh, comparison is that when you're four years old and you open presents on christmas morning you're just going to play gi joe's you have no idea how many hours dad had to work yeah to to like yeah. you know buy all the presents that wound up under the tree he was just playing gi joe yeah you know but you know at the same time he's making this money critiquing wrestling yeah right um your very best food critic maybe not not able to get in the, the kitchen and cook, right? Yeah. It And it it wasn't so much that he couldn't, he wasn't capable of it. There just seemed to be no interest in learning the reality of the business. Absolutely. He, he failed, quite frankly, failed at learning the actual business uh, and didn't have any interest in understanding that the world of inside wrestling was different than how he perceived it from the outside. Or a uh, diplomacy. Oh, he had no idea what that was. Yeah. So, that's that. Um, obviously, if we could go back, we would have made a different choice, and we would have probably presented some more Chris Hero matches. Uh, one of the very cool things that Chris did, <clears throat> he took this match and he put it on his YouTube, which had a ton of subscribers and funneled a ton of support nationally towards us. Yeah. And then we picked... It, it absolutely yeah. heightened our profile, and... Uh, yeah, I feel awful. Yeah, so it it is what it is. Well, we have you know a ton of love for Chris, but that that's what was going on yeah. for people that that go, hey man, when they set all this stuff up, what happened? That's what happened. All right, so this show was uh, without intermission 
three hours and 45 minutes. So we're probably, you know, past four hours here. And we have Mike Dell versus Davey Vega versus Jordan Jensen for the to crown the first ever Inspire Pro Champion. Your winner, uh, Mike Dell. Yes. And then. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, um, The Void. No. Franco comes out to congratulate him, right? Yeah, because this sets up like, hey man, you're gonna yeah. have to you're gonna have to hold on to it through me. Yeah. You know, so I I put the belt on Dell. Franco comes out, congrat. Yeah, basically that, and Void attacks him from behind, and uh, unveils himself as centerfold Matthew Palmer. And everyone in the building should have known this if they had seen his King of the North T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so. So oh, watching it back, I'm sitting there. I'm like, this motherfucker wears that. I'm, I'm like, this motherfucker wears that shirt to like all of our shows now, right? I'm like, oh, that's a cool nod. Then I'm like, wait, I have pictures with him in that t-shirt. Yeah. That are before this show. So a fun <laughs> Matthew Palmer, who is a stickler for details. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I as I watched back, I couldn't believe. So I there was one thing that did occur though. Um that really pissed me off and it, it really kind of dug the spur into my, uh, my, my humor, uh, was Darren, uh, oh, tweeting, yeah. tweeting during our show, Darren, uh, uh, Childs from ACW tweeting during our show that void was actually Matthew Palmer, you know, for a guy who, uh, often disparaged our company during this period. And in fact, at one point referred to us as, the pop warner to his NFL, yeah. he paid a lot of attention uh, and he shit talked us endlessly on, you know, whatever social media platform he could. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was really cheesed off, but I don't think, I mean, probably not a lot of people paid attention, but still yeah. it, it made me angry that this dickhead had to like kind of, you know, walk through the crowd and pop the kid's balloon with a cigar and linger only long enough to hear the crying. He yeah. is a piece of shit. And that really pissed me off. It made me want to kill him. And you can leave that in, Lex. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I will say this was, to me, a really grandiose way to bring Matthew Palmer into the fold. Matthew was one of the guys that I really wanted to work with. And the reason, you know, the, he was like a guy I just didn't think was u utilized very well. But he didn't, he didn't necessarily want to work with us because I think at the time... Uh, Darren had promised him the book at ACW. If I'm that, correct. That happens from time to time. Yeah. So I think he he took that position and he ran with it because he saw it as a great opportunity. But unfortunately, uh, it didn't wind up being what he wanted. And so uh, he began to entertain the idea of working with us. And he knew, I think, I think he had been to a few of our shows, so he knew. Did did he come? I think he came. Oh, to... he would have. He would have maybe been at the show before. So yes, he had a close relationship with Robert, who was on yeah. the show before. So, yeah, I think maybe he start. Maybe he was there. Yep. Yep. I remember. Him, well, I mean, he was seeing what we were doing, and I think yep. at this point, to a lot of people, it was it 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 became apparent that we weren't just like a fly by night. You know, yeah. we were we were there to to to, to contend. You yeah. know, and uh, well, I mean, and I'm going to say it. We were at this point. We were winning. Yeah. So. Well, I think we won day one. Um, but, you know, 
it wasn't about beating the underdog, you know, and not, yeah. <laughs> I hate saying, I hate using that term. Yeah. We were the underdog. We weren't there to kick anybody. Yeah. We were there to do pro wrestling as we saw fit, what we wanted to see pro wrestling be. And we wanted to create a healthy environment for people that we respected and we wanted to help people grow and cultivate their art. And that was the purpose of our company. So, you know, even if we ran roughshod over somebody, that was just kind of um, a necessary act. What we really wanted to do was just put on kick-ass wrestling shows. And I think that we did that. Yeah, up to this point, man. This Look point. at it. We're rocking and rolling. I so. don't think we've ever stopped, honestly. But uh, anyway, you know, that that's uh, that's how that's how that that show ends. And uh, next week you'll hear us talk more about it as we're mopping up the hall. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you uh, next time on Inspire AD.